we have been walking through a series called Hazards. Uh, we've, we've got to our last uh, weekend of this. And what we're trying to, what we've been trying to say in this, in this uh, series is that, like with many things in our lives, many products that we might buy, whether it be food or maybe like a, a clean, something to clean or, or other things in our lives, very often on the packaging we will see instructions. If you want to use this product well, to the best of its ability, follow these instructions. And then we will see warnings. This is how you use it. This is how you absolutely do not use this, this product. And we shared some of those don't iron shirt while wearing, like some really important ones that are important to know. Um, and, and what we've talked about is the fact that in life, God has gifted us with many things. And they are meant to be used in a certain way. And when they're not used in that certain way, we're given the warning. Do, do nev- definitely do not use them in this way. You use them this way, there's going to be blessing. You use them this way, um, they're, they're, they're going to bring destruction. They're going to bring pain. In fact, if you use them this way, not only will they, they be used correctly, they'll actually bring joy. They'll, 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 they'll bring you more joy in, in using what God has given you. So we talked about uh, friendships and the way we, we live in community with others. We talked about sexuality. Uh, the first um, week talked a little bit about um, alcohol and, and, and abuses in that area and addiction in certain areas. So we've covered quite a scope. And uh, I think last week and the week before, I got to the end and I went, it's quiet in here. <laughs> it was like tumbleweed. It was like, <sighs> okay. The third thing you often see on a product is in case of emergency, call. In ca- if, if, you, if you didn't pay, pay attention to the instructions... If you didn't pay attention to the warnings, uh, we've used the example of, of guardrails on, on the highway. If you blasted through the guardrails, it's not over. It's not over. Uh, and we live our lives being told to ignore guardrails. That was perfect timing. We, we, are, we are told throughout our lives... Um, you should not be bound in, and anyone tells you that there should be certain uh, rules about anything, you just blow past those if you want true freedom. And so, do, do I think that an hour of my time is going to do battle with six and a half days of hearing everything else? I mean, I only need five minutes on TV or the radio or, or the internet to be told how it's about me. And it's about what I want. And if I want true happiness, I need this car, I need this drink, I need this kind of person. Uh, so there, there's a lot of kind of pushback we need to do when we meet on a Sunday. And that's why we should meet more than just on Sundays. That means we should be in life groups. We should be strategically having Christian community outside of just a Sunday morning. A lot of these, a lot of these things in our lives that, that blast us through the guardrails, that, that, that put a conviction in us to to ignore instruction, ignore warning, come from the fact that we desire to be in control. And so for some of us, our desire to be in control, our belief that that will bring true freedom, has caused us to blast through guardrails, dismissing God's instruction, dismissing God's law in our lives, and removing warning signs. And many of us, all of us, to a certain degree, have sensed the outcome of that, whether it's something we've brought on ourselves or something that someone else has brought into our lives. So rather than those things, bringing the promised freedom that they said they would bring, they bring momentary pleasure, perhaps doing damage seen or unseen to ourselves, to our families, ourself, our soul. We find ourselves, as the metaphor goes on, reading the in case of emergency, what, what do I do now? 
Years back, uh, a gentleman by the name of Ernest Becker wrote a book called The Denial of Death. And in his book, he said this, there's never been a whole society of people with such a widespread belief that there's no ultimate future at all. He, point, he points out that we live in a society that puts more emphasis on sex and romance and money and power than any other culture ever because we're trying to deal with the sense of cosmic insignificance that keeps breaking in on us because of our belief that there's no ultimate future, no larger story than what we are creating for ourselves. He wrote that 50 years ago. So today, after we've, we've walked through these, these dangers of life choices, and, and I, I've had, maybe more than any other series, a handful of people saying that, that I needed to hear that. <laughs> um, now that we've done that, and we've focused in on, oh man, we've gone past there, maybe I've gone past there, I want to invite you to look up. I want you to invite you to look at Jesus. Not to look at, at maybe the path we've gone down. The solution in Scripture is always to look up. It's always to behold more of Jesus. John Piper said this in a a recent message I just heard. He said this, and I think it it, it captures it. He says, The most basic distinction between the Christian and the non-Christian is not new decisions, not new deeds, not new doctrines, but a new delight. Oh, oh, a new delight. Where are your delights? Because that's where, you're, that's where we'll lead. That's where our lives will lead. That's where our heart will go. That's where our mind will go. So with that in mind, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. If you have a Bible app where you can highlight things, get your thumb ready. If you have a Bible, an actual... Remember when they used to make them? Like this? Um, and a pen or a pencil... I want you to get ready to circle a few things. We're going we're gonna to settle in this text a bit today. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. The word of God to us this morning. Starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his Glory, God of grace, I pray you would speak to us this morning through this fantastic run-on sentence. I pray that you would speak to us through these words 
of the Apostle Paul. A truth so profound, so life-shattering, but in all the good ways. I pray that our hearts would be soft and ready to accept what you would want to say to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Paul was in such a good mood when he wrote this. He was in such a good mood. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. If you've read any of other of Paul's other letters to churches. Any day it's not Corinth or, or Galatia, it's a good day, okay? He's, those guys are just trouble. He's just gotta, so he's right into the church in Ephesus, and he is happy. He, you get this idea that he's writing to a church just hungry to go, to go deeper, to understand this new faith that they've been given, to allow this truth to, to overtake them, to completely submerge in it. Man, May that be us. May we submerge in the truth of this word today. And Paul can't get it down fast enough, as I mentioned in, in my, my prayer. It's, it's, it's a, this is one sentence. What I read to you is the longest sentence in all of Scripture. It's like he just, I can't, I can't stop. I, can't. I get critiqued often, mostly by John, that I talk too fast when I preach. And I talk at one level. Because I'm so excited. i got to get it all out. I'd like to submit that I'm simply being like the Apostle Paul. <laughs> he, he is so excited. He's blowing out of the water. Like his, his, I guess it would be Greek teacher in this case. She's upset. Okay? Because he cannot be confined to the boundaries of grammatical rules. He can't. He's too excited. And he goes on and on and on. One commentary I read on this text this week, it says this. These words that Paul writes are designed to lift the reader's eyes away from themselves, their mistakes, their fears, and their efforts to the majesty and love of God revealed in his unfolding plan and to the privilege of participating in it. That sounds pretty good. It's better than all the car commercials I heard this week. Better than all the offers that I heard through commercials and through uh, and online. Every spiritual blessing, le- literally spiritual untouchable bounty is ours, is what the text is saying. So the nature of this blessing is that it's spiritual and heavenly, and that matters for, for two reasons. For those two reasons, it cannot be touched, it cannot be removed, it cannot be broken, and it cannot be taken from you. It's in safe keeping. It means that in Jesus, your truest treasure is in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. It is stored for safekeeping, this blessing. So let's, what I want to do this morning is walk through this text and and look at the character of this blessing offered by God through Christ. It's beautiful, but Paul's just getting all on. You're like, okay, here and there, calm down, Paul. Let me catch up. Let me grab all that stuff. So a few things. First is I want to say, what is this blessing? What is this blessing he's talking about? It has several pieces. God chose us, it says in verse 4. It says he chose us to be holy and blameless before him. Paul writes about this in Colossians 1.22 as well. It says he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach for him. That was the goal of the cross was so that he could bring you before God as holy and blameless. Now don't read that backwards. We don't get ourselves holy and blameless so we can come before God. 
in Christ, we are holy and blameless as we step before God. That's an important distinction. We can't get that backwards or we miss the whole point of the gospel. We're given adoption, it says in verse 5. The only reason people in the ancient world adopted children was because they wanted to give them their inheritance. They wanted to leave a legacy. So anytime someone talks about adopting someone, it means they didn't have somebody to give all their stuff to. So God has adopted you and I so that he can give us his blessing. Sounds good. We've been redeemed. The redemption in verse 7, that's part of the blessing. We've, we've been bought and, and given worth. In order to buy something, it has to have worth. So if you walk in thinking you're worthless, that doesn't work with the gospel. He's given us forgiveness of our trespasses, verse 7. As I mentioned, with with adoption, he's given us inheritance, verse 11. And all of this is sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, verse 13. Your salvation, inheritance of blessing is secure. These these are out-of-this-world promises brought to you by God, and they are found nowhere else. And as Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. So what we have is this. We have this, it, it's an all-encompassing blessing. It, it hits on who you are in your essence, at your core. It takes your value out of your hands, which means you can't lose it. It gives you belonging. It packages it all up in Jesus and seals it. That's what this blessing is. It's secure. Adoption, redemption, forgiveness. That's what God is offering you. So when did this happen? Number two, when did this happen? <laughs> Before the foundation of the world. Verse four. And it will, it will continue until the fullness of time. Verse 10. Romans eight nineteen says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We're waiting. It's hurting. We're waiting for this blessing to be fully revealed. Meaning, meaning that, that all these things are being fully stored in heaven. So we are given a foretaste right now. When, when we, you, ever, you ever catch the sunset and you just say, thanks God, thanks for that glimpse. I got that glimpse of grace right there. Thought this, I thought this day had nothing in it. <laughs> but you gave me that, that glimpse. That, that's, what, that's what us, the, the Holy Spirit coming on us is a foretaste of this beautiful blessing coming in, in, in fullness. Colossians 1.5, because of the hope laid out for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. We see Jesus hinting on this, on this future in the gospel of Luke as well. Luke chapter 6, verse 20 says, he lifted his eyes on his disciples and he said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. And they're going, that doesn't feel like it's the kingdom of God for us right now. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now you're, you're going to laugh. There's going to be joy. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So these are our blessings, our promises from before time and are offered in part now, but will soon be ours in completeness. Why did this happen? This is, this is important. Why did this happen? Why do we get these blessings? It, this is where the gospel, the good news of belonging to Jesus, is so freeing. And if we don't get this, we don't get the gospel. Why do we get this? Verses 5. According to. According to happens five times in this text. According to the purpose of his will. According to the riches of his grace. According to the purpose set forth in Christ. According to the purpose of him who works all things. 
according to the counsel of his will. So it's the eternal plan. It's not new. God didn't look at me in a lineup and go, Brad's good. He can tie his own shoelaces. I want him on the team. That's not how it worked. We were chosen before we breathed. Before we had a breath, God decided we were in. He was going to call us to himself. It's not new. It is his purpose, his riches, his counsel. It's his desire and purpose to give his riches to us. I love that he seeks only his own counsel. He seeks his own counsel, whether or not we will be adopted in, which means he, he doesn't need convincing and he doesn't need correction. He did not make a mistake when he called you into the family, when he invited you in. So why did this happen? It was God's pleasure to have you as his child. How did this happen? Number four, in Christ. In Christ. Why do we sing? Why are you guys all about Jesus here? Because it's in Christ. It's the only reason we have any reason to gather, to smile, to, to look to the future with hope. Those of you who have walked through darkness and shadow over the last couple of years, through loss, yet, have, yet are sitting here with hope because you're in Christ. Because in Christ there's hope. It says that 11 times just in this text. In Christ, in Christ, through Christ. 27 times in, this, in, in the book of Ephesians. Our salvation, our security, the reason we, we make it from being chosen in him before the foundation of the world to acquiring the fullness of our possession is because Christ is holding us close. That's weird. <laughs> Just a weird idea. I, I preached a sermon on this a few months ago about that idea of being in Christ. We always talk about Jesus being in our hearts. But the truest description of being a Christian is that we are in Christ. He's like the receiver who's grabbed the ball and he tucks it close to his chest and he's going to run it all the way through to the end zone and nothing is going to stop. He's got that, you know, that pose. Nothing's going to stop him. He's going to break through. That's why Paul can write with confidence elsewhere in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. I am sure of this. I'm sure of this. He's writing this while he's in prison. I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I, I used to work in a, in a mail room when I was in my early 20s. And whenever we knew that the, the box was going to be on a long trip and there were valuables in it, you would stuff it full of all, you know, all the little stuffy popcorn things. And then you, we would wrap, we'd get the duct tape out. It was a horrible noise. And we'd, we would make it, we would make sure that package was going to make it from where it started to where it was going. We are in Christ. We, there's protection around us as he is going to get us through to the finish line. There's another way of looking at that. It's, that it's very important is that our worth and our identity are now caught up in Christ. In most cultures, traditionally, when two people marry, they share the wealth. So if there's someone who's going to get married and they've been horrible with their money, they, they've lost it all. They've made bad decisions. And then there's, they're going to marry someone who's, they've been on top of it. They, they bought property when they were 16. They've been, they, you know, they, they've been investing and they've never misspent their money. They've carefully calculated everything. When they get married, they share the wealth. That is equal wealth. And now you're thinking, oh, I should aim high. 
The poor person may not have deserved it. The rich person has worked hard to earn it. But when they get married, they share the wealth. So the poor spouse receives with the rich spouse the riches of the spouse. The the Bible simply says everything Jesus Christ has, everything that belongs to Jesus, when you are united with him by faith, when you believe in him, when you give yourself to him, everything he has comes to you. Romans 6, 1 to 4. What shall we say then? In, in response to this grace, in response to this gospel, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, no, we've married up. <laughs> By no means. How can, we, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What does that mean? It means that when we come to Jesus in faith, we are bound to him. We are attached to him. It's like a three-legged race, but not as awkward. Wherever he goes, we go. What he has accomplished is accomplished for you. You, You're attached to him. You're in Christ. So in Poco, if you're driving down Shaughnessy and you go underneath the train tracks, if you are texting, a policeman will catch you and give you a ticket for $375. You're saying, Brad, that sounds like a very accurate amount. Hashtag true story. Hashtag I'm sorry. You are guilty. There's no way out of that. Uh, uh, There's no way out of it. Once you pay the fine, they have no legal right anymore to bother you. Once that fine is paid, hands off. It's been paid. You, you, you've done your duty. Whatever the fine is, when, when you pay the fine, the law has no more claim over you. The gospel is this, that to be united with Jesus Christ in his death, that you are now free from guilt, free from condemnation, as if you died for the sin yourself. As if you took the whole penalty on yourself. If you've done something really wrong, but you're united with Christ, you are as free from the condemnation as if you died for it yourself. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's been paid for. Then it says, that, that, that text says, we, we were united with him in his resurrection. What's his resurrection? How, how can we be united with him in his resurrection? We're, we're still here. We're, we're mortal. What that means is Jesus' resurrection, it was his reward. It was his vindication for what he had done, for the payment he had made for you. It was reward for his service. It was reward for all that he did. It was his triumph. What this means is that all of the things Jesus deserves for everything he has done, all his honors, when you're united with him, they're yours. He treats you, God treats you, as if you deserve all the things that Jesus has achieved. That's good news. That's why we celebrate. That deserves more than a a golf clap. Right? Good job. You were resurrected. Good job, Jesus. It deserves more than that. So why does this matter? We land the plane this morning. Why does this matter? Why does all this theology matter? Why does the, the, the spiritual reality of this matter? Why does it matter that Jesus has done this? What does it matter that we are in Christ? 
Because this, this truth, this, this reality is an anecdote for running a treadmill of works before God. This reality is, is an antidote for running a treadmill before, of works before each other. For people in our lives. It's an antidote for, for blasting through the guardrails and, and living in a, in a limited perspective. People wonder why their lives are so mundane. Christians, we often wonder why our lives are so mundane. It's because our heads are not lifted up to behold this truth. To behold this reality. The fact that this, this reality exists in the heavenly realms is a lot closer than we think. In the spiritual places means that it can't be touched. It means that it's eternal. It means it has ultimate purpose for us. It also means that mistakes and transgressions, sin, whatever you kids are calling it these days, they don't have ultimate say in your life. They can't. They don't have ultimate say on who you belong to, on what your future holds. Because your future was established before creation. And it comes to fruition not because of anything you can accomplish, but because of what Jesus has already done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We get that. If we get that, that's life change. If, if we get that, that, that's it. And it comes from continuing to, to bathe in it, continuing to let the, the waves of grace and the gospel stream over us. We're not going to get that from an hour and a half on a Sunday. I don't care how good the preaching is. It's not going to happen. Do not measure your position with God on how well you did this week. Do not measure it that way. Do not measure your relationship with God and your mistakes on how much you read the Bible this week. Those are important things if we want to grow. Important things if we want to move closer to Christ. But they are not the basis of our salvation. They are not the basis of our worth, of our adoption, of the blessing that God wants to give us. It's based on a decision made by God before the creation of the world. Please rest in that. Rest in that. It's what you were created for. And so it's the only place you'll be fully human. It's the only place you'll be fully human. You can find happiness elsewhere. You can. You can find happiness elsewhere for a time. Maybe a long time. But it won't be complete. It will never play out fully. God's story is so much more robust. So much more all-encompassing, eternal, fulfilling than we could ever create for ourselves. Our truest self is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's where our truest humanity is found. Imagine Paul living the past that he lived, killing Christians, being paid to go and kill Christians, cursing Jesus' name. Cur- I'm, we've heard curses. I guarantee he, he trumps them all with his hatred that he had for the gospel. And then he profoundly meets Christ and changes his life. And he's the great, greatest preacher of Christianity in the first century. He probably found himself worshipping next to people who had relatives that he had probably murdered. Can you imagine that sense? Now how does Paul write something like this? How is Paul not just, self, just consumed with brokenness? 
coming before the, the light of God, the, the all-consuming fire and holiness of God, how does he worship? How does he write something like this? How does he have joy in prison? How is he not just wallowing the mud going, I so deserve this, just throwing mud on top of himself? I so deserve this. How does he worship with such joy? You get the idea that he was not consumed with the transgressions of his past. Now, if I sat some of you next to Paul, and I'm going to assume, unless you guys are masterminds and great at hiding a double life, I'm going to assume that none of you would be able to match what Paul did in evil, transgression, and sin. Yet many of you will walk with more shame and guilt than Paul ever did. Why is that? Why is that? Because we think that our our salvation, our joy, our sainthood, our holy, holiness, our blamelessness has anything to do with us. Paul got it. He knew it had nothing to do with it. Good thing. Good thing for us too. One writer puts it this way. His grace and not our sweat is what matters. His grace and not our sweat is what matters. These words are designed, I'll remind you this, what this commentator said. These words are designed to lift the reader's eyes away from themselves. They're meant to lift your eyes away from yourselves, your mistakes, your fears, your efforts, and gaze at the majesty and love of God revealed in his unfolding plan and the privilege of participating. That's what missions comes from. The, 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 the privilege of participating in it, of, of calling out to the world. You guys, got, you're not going to believe this story that God wants to call you into. And so we respond, as Paul tells us to in verse 3, blessing God, literally adoring Him, speaking great things about Him. We do that through worship, not only in music. By praising Him, it says in verse 14, coming before Him with our complete lives because our story only makes sense inside of His story. It's great to know. That's why this is important. It's great to know that if we've ignored the warning signs, if we've, we've blasted past the guardrails and done damage to ourselves, seen and unseen to ourselves and to others, our relationship with Christ, we can find our bearings in the fact that our purpose, our identity, our worth was dealt with long before we took a breath. It is and always has been found in the person and work of Christ, and it is in his safe keeping. That's why repentance never needs to be scary. That's why confession never needs to be scary. He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I knew about this a long time ago. That's why worship should be a natural outcropping of knowing him, beholding him, and it should be the fuel of our godly living. Not slapping ourselves on the back, but knowing we're his already, and so enjo- living in the joy of that. The grace by which we are saved is also the grace that propels us to want to live for him and know him. See, ultimately, lives of self-pursuit, lives bust-bursting past barriers, ignoring God's loving commands meant for our health, doing damage seen and unseen to ourselves and those around us, will never be cured by hearing preaching. It won't. It'll, It'll never be cured by throwing more morality on us about it's just trying harder. We will never be reoriented by fixing ourselves morally. That kind of change comes about by beholding Jesus. 
by diving deeper into the story of seeing the wealth we have in Christ compared to the spiritual poverty we often settle for. It's greater worship and beholding of him that brings about that kind of life change. The most basic distinction between the Christian and the non-Christian is not new decisions, it's not new deeds, it's not new doctrines, but a new delight. God of grace. I love that we can even title you God of grace. There is not a person here who does not need your grace this morning. There's not a person here who cannot be helped by understanding more of your love for us. There's not a person here who cannot experience more joy by by diving deeper in and understanding that in Christ we have all that we need. We have an adoption into the family of God. We've been given the right to be called children of the living God. We have a blessed hope. We have a future. We are not defined by how well we did this week. We're not defined by the amount of times we lost our temper. By the amount of times we looked and we went where we shouldn't have looked and we shouldn't have gone. We're not defined by that. By by your grace, God. As we look to your son. As we behold his work on our behalf, and we cling to him, may it be our pursuit out of response and out of love and out of joy to toss those things aside that would keep us from pursuing you wholly. Those things that offer so much but deliver so little. It's my prayer that this week and through this time of worship, as we end this service, that we would do all we can this week to behold you. Even in this text, to read over this text this week. To read your revealed word to us. And it can be so hard sometimes, so I pray through your spirit, you would open our hearts and minds to what you would say to us through your word this week. Because we want to know you more. We want to know this God who, who, who loves us so much. We want to know this Christ who secured us, who secured our future. We want to know this God who so freely and lavishly offers his forgiveness. And we want to live in the joy of this story. We toss our own story aside and we live in the joy of this story. Whatever that means for us this morning, God. Whatever that means for us. Whatever we need to throw aside. Whatever decisions we need to make. Not not to be accepted by you but to know you more and to dive deeper into who you are, whatever that is, point it out through your spirit and give us the courage to trust you as we release those things. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.